Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all ever heard of a book or read a book or heard of it called A Land Remembered? Anybody know that book? A Land Remembered. A guy named uh, Patrick D. Smith wrote it a long time ago. God rest his soul. But uh, it's a book, uh, a fictional novel, uh, kind of takes place during cracker times. That's what a Florida cracker is. And if you just came here from up north and you think the word cracker is a racist term, you are wrong. It is uh, our heritage. It would be like taking you Ohio Buckeye people and it's making Buckeye a racist term. It's a, so the, the cracker word is not... In fact, now i got to just go ahead and explain it. But you can read the book and, and you can kind of see how that, that all came about. But... Uh, uh, so, uh, a, a Florida, uh, let me just put it this way. Okay, so back in, this book takes place kind of from the 1850s till maybe, I don't know, the 1970s, something like that. And it, it starts out with a guy who basically, when he was a little kid, and they used to take stagecoaches down, and they were trying to get some citrus, get some seeds, get some stuff down in Miami. For, for a handful of birds, he literally bought a couple of sandbars that turned into Miami Beach. And he started this whole giant, you know, conglomerate of Miami Beach. And it starts off at the end of his life. He's actually traveling to a place over in southwest Florida where he's got hundreds some acres and a little house in the middle of it. And he's ready to die. And he's sorry for making a mess out of Florida. <laughs> That's really kind of the story of it. And it. But it takes you back from the 1850s all the way through. And so if you don't know in history, every 100 to 125 years, Florida kicks everyone out. Uh, literally, since the 1400s, that's what's happened. Usually it is something hurricane or, or, or weather-related that wipe, uh, hurts the economy and wipes people out, and we think we're impervious to it, but the only thing we learn from history is we don't learn. And uh, so in this book, uh, it used to actually be required school reading, didn't it? Uh, in fact, everybody in, who came to Florida, all the public school kids used to have to read this book just so they wouldn't mess up Florida. But uh, anyways, uh, oh, dude, here, I'll let y'all fix that while I don't need it yet. And uh, so, so anyways, I was just kind of thinking about this because uh, I was thinking about the message, and this will all tie in. And, and there's a lot of really cool stories. How many of y'all have never read A Land Remembered? Dude, you need to read it, especially if you're a reader. And they even have a children's version, if you say, I ain't a good reader. But, man, even when I'm at thrift stores, I'll buy it and I'll give it to people and stuff. It's a great, great book that I read a lot because it reminds me of my heritage. And uh, so, anyways, the whole idea of Cracker is this, all right? And, and, and this is a little lanyap, a little extra for you, okay? Uh, then, uh, so you can be educated. So when you call somebody a cracker, you actually know what that means, all right? And, uh, and it ain't a racist term. So the idea was back in the 1850s, there was no real repeating rifle. Uh, the Winchester 3030 or Model 94 didn't come out until 18, 1894. That was the first commercial smokeless repeating you know, rifle. They did have some blunder, and that changed the world, actually, that Winchester 3030. But there were, uh, uh, or, or the Model 94, but there were big shotguns, blunder buses, man, just, you know, when you go to shoot one. Ashley, you know what that's like, right? <laughs> shooting from the hip <laughs> but anyways uh, I have videos of her when she was little and it's kind of funny if y'all ever want to see them but um <laughs> but anyways um <coughs> bullets were expensive they weren't readily available and and if you used one man you used it you know for something that was really important that you needed but it wasn't an everyday tool and and, and uh in that and so 
Bottom line is, when they got down, they were a bunch of, of runaway slaves. The first crackers were runaway slaves. They were runaway Indians, and they were poor white people from the, the South. And they're like, well, if we're going to start over, it's kind of like Florida today. If we're going to start over again, then we might as well go someplace where it's warm. No, we might as well go someplace where there's, you know, where we can make it happen. And so they came down right into this area here, you know, between this coast and the other coast, right down. And they would go further down into the central area. And uh, so anyways, they had to figure out something. So they'd shoot. There, there were cows left from the Spanish that would be stuck in the woods, in the swamp. How are you going to get a cow out of the swamp, man? And uh, that, so there were a lot of different things. They didn't have tools. They did need some protection. Did have, there were a lot of rattlesnakes, a lot of different things. So what they did is they would shoot a deer, a buck, and they'd make out of buckskin a 20-foot whip. And my granny had one in the 70s. In fact, um, in, in fact that was Morse code. My granny would actually crack that whip. I never got hit by it. But if I was across the lake and she cooked lunch or dinner and, and she cracked that whip twice, that meant I better get rowing across the lake. If she cracked it three times, it meant I was on the verge of getting hit by it when I got back. And so it was Morse code. In, in other words, they would communicate through the cracking of the whip. They would knock the head off a rattlesnake 20 feet away if they needed to at that time. They would pop cows out of the swamp. And so it became a major tool for everything. It was a tool. It wasn't a weapon. Just like people always ask me, ooh, when I pull my knife out at, you know, the store or somewhere, like, oh, you have a weapon. I'm like, no, dude, this is a tool, not a weapon. You know, in your world, you may need to be protected all the time and you got weapons. I need a tool. And that's what it was. It was a tool, not a weapon. And so, so man, they would use it for everything. And so when people came down and would go back up north or somewhere and they'd say, oh, we were down in Florida. Oh, you're with all those crackers. Y'all know why it was cracker? Because all they heard was the whip cracking, crack, crack, crack. And again, I would say even in the 70s, my granny cracking a whip was more for Morse code than it ever was for any kind of punishment or any kind of anything. Yeah, they got the cows moving and stuff. So anyways, that's just a little background on crackers, okay, and what cracker means. So next time you call somebody a cracker, yeah, somebody, it's funny, I go to Walmart and they go, oh, you cracker, and they mean this. I'm like, you're right, I am. <laughs> Let me tell you what this means. Because I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of where I came from. I'm proud of what Florida used to be and all of that. But this book is a really cool book. But the story that goes kind of with this message this morning, it, it, it was a story out of it. I hadn't really been thinking about this book lately. And it, it starts out where, did you all know the cattle industry? In America, the whole cattle industry in America started right here. It started here. That's why they celebrate the Cracker Trail. Every year, you can go up. They go Fort Pierce down. It's across the middle of the state to reenact things. But how it is described in this book, which is pretty historically accurate, and what they would do is all of a sudden in the 1850s, 1860s, the whole world was staging their military down in, the, in Cuba. And so there was some rich dude down in southwest Florida, Puna Brasa in the book, I guess, but kind of Fort Myers, Puna Gorda, somewhere down there. And, and evidently people heard he was buying cows. So if you were here and all of a sudden you popped some cows out of the swamp, and by the way, they tried, you know, they tried uh, corralling the cows. They talk about this. And the Indians were like, no, 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 man. 
brand them and let them run. That way they can, you know, that way they can kind of, you know, it was free ranging and it was more better. It was more better. And so anyways, though, uh, to corral the cows, to get them together and to drive them, they would use whips and they would start cracking of whips. And so somebody would hear that you could take cows down there and sell them. And if you, there, there was no other real business other than taking care of yourself. So some guys started taking cows down that way. But from here to southwest Florida, he would, people would say, what are you doing with them cows? And he's like, well, I'm taking them down to sell them. Well, I got a couple. You want to sell a couple for me? They're like, well, yeah, I'll take a couple more cows. And then they get going. Everybody sees cows coming. What are you doing with them cows? We're taking them down to sell them. Well, you want to take a couple for me? And before you knew it, by the time the dude got all the way down there, there would be a whole herd of cows. And he would sell them. And now he's got all the money. Now he's on the way back. And guess what he's doing on the way back? He's paying each person for the cows that he brought that were those people's cows. And that's how the cattle industry got started. And boy, it got big. And, and in fact, this is today, uh, I, I got guys that when I say I'm a cracker, like Richard Borla, man, if he's watching, he, he, he's like, you ain't a cracker. He said, you ain't a cowboy. I'm a saltwater cracker. That's what I am. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there's a whole nother world of saltwater crackers, man, eating mullet and netting and all living off the river. And uh, that's a whole nother story, a whole nother book. But anyways, man, so that's what they would do. And, and it talks about making handshake deals. This is the part that goes with the message. It talks about as he's going with his cows, he would pick up 20 cows from this guy and, and make a handshake deal. All right, well, whatever I get paid, plus, you know, I'll make a deal with you. Okay, and they shook hands. And then moving on down, and they would shake hands on the next deal, shake hands. And then the man on the way back was a man of his word if he was going to develop a business, and he would actually pay people what he said he was going to pay them. Man, can you imagine making handshake deals? Can you imagine how many of y'all would go to work for a handshake deal? Hey, y'all are getting ready to buy it. You're, you're trying to buy a house and you're under contract, right? I thought that's what your husband was going to say or whatever. You're, you're under contract. Under what? Y'all didn't just shake hands and say, okay, yeah, so let's work this out. And no, dude, you got to go through inspections. You got it in writing. Do you really want it in writing? Why do you want it in writing, Julia? Because you don't trust them, all right? Did you tell them right off the bat, we're putting this in writing because I don't trust you? Is it, did you have to tell them that? No, because it's now standard procedure that nobody trusts anybody, right? Yeah, just a few years ago. Well, I like to think that this book was written just a few years ago. It was written a long time ago, about a long time ago, but really not more than a couple hundred years, mid-1800s to 1880s or, or so. That's just the, the gist of the story and in there. But there were handshake deals. Right now, we don't do handshake deals. We do it what? We, we got to have it in what? In writing. Because what if you have a handshake deal? Dude, what would be, and now you go to court. Let's just say somebody messes you over and you go to court and you tell, well, we had a handshake deal. What would the judge say? You're an idiot. Nobody does handshake deals. By the way, Chuck, on our, on our paddle boards that you're making, we have a handshake deal. Why? Because we what? We trust each other. Plus, we know where each other lives. All right? That's all I'm saying. But, but in that, a handshake deal, man, of 
And we are so far away from handshake deals. We don't trust anybody. And since COVID, we even trust less people. Already we had such a litigious world that there's a whole profession called lawyers. <laughs> and I'm not saying lawyers are bad. They're necessary because nobody trusts anybody. We've got to have it in writing. And not only in writing, you've got to have it written a certain way that meets legal code and so on. Boom, boom. It's all got to be there because nobody what? What's the T word? Nobody trusts anybody. So it's just natural that we would have a hard time trusting God. Is it any wonder that when God makes promises to us, is it any wonder when he makes a promise that we have a hard time believing that he's going to keep his promise? Because don't we make God a lot like ourselves? I mean, don't we judge others by ourselves, right? And, and often our view of God, especially if we're not in the Word, and even if we are in the Word, man, we see the promises, but we're like, man, nobody keeps their promises. I'll believe it when I... Yeah, well, now it's like, I'll believe it when I actually have it in my hands, when I'm really there, when it's really, you know, but it's hard to believe until it's something tangible because we live in such an untrusting world. How many of y'all trust the media? <laughs> y'all remember a day, Walter Cronkite? <laughs> How many of y'all remember Walter Cronkite? How many old people? Are? When they started, when we had black and white TVs, and, and they were like this wide, and there was a tube in the back, and the remote control, I was telling Keone the other day, the remote control was me getting up and going, kee, 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 to the three channels we had in Orlando, and four if you had a weird little background. That was a little bit later in life. Man, well, they, they reported the news, and you used to be able to kind of interpret it. But no more. It's a marketing system. All it is is somebody selling you the news. How many of y'all trust the government? Oh, because they're in every aspect of our life, and they think they know better than us. I could go on. How many of y'all have lost some? And I'm not blasting doctors and nurses. They su surrender their life they, to, to fix people and help people. But how many of y'all have faith in the CDC, and, and, the, and the whole medical system right now. How many of you lost some faith in it? And again, I'm not blasting saying it's gone, it's, there's nothing good. And I, I'm, not, I'm just saying we have lost trust in things that we used to be able to, man, it was solid, rock solid. And because we live in a world where we keep losing trust in things, I think it affects our theology where we have a hard time believing promises from God. Amen? Man, you want somebody to make you a pro uh, Emily, y'all back there, y'all just got an apartment. Uh, you're not living together until you're married, right? I just been clearing that up right now, but you're, you're in there. Uh, did you just make a, a promise? The lady said, okay, I promise to let you guys live there. And you're like, oh, we promised to pay. No, what did you have to do? You signed a lease. Were you glad about that lease? Yes, because that assures you that if you pay your rent, she can't kick you out unless, some, yeah. And, and she's probably glad for a lease because if you don't pay your rent, then she can take action on that. Again, would you have done it if she just said, oh, come on in and pay me whatever? You wouldn't have done that? Dude, why? Yeah, she could change her mind any time. That's why we can trust God, because he doesn't change his mind anytime. It's the same yesterday, 
today and forever. God is solid. And so we're going to go back, and this is where we're at in Hebrews, or not in Hebrews, Hebrews and Rome, all of it's related. This is where we're at in Romans chapter 4. We're, we're at a place where, where we're going to learn about Abraham, you know, having living the life in, in, in Ur, you know, a town of about 300,000 people that was as modern as modern civilization could be at that time, which is more modern than what you kind of think. And God just saying, hey, I want you to get up and leave. I want you to go. And here's, and we're going to see the story. He's depending upon God's promises. And the writer of Romans, which is Paul, is using him as an illustration to say God has made a promise to you. And God cannot break his promise. So as we're looking, our title in Romans has always been Revival Through Romans because, dude, every week there's something that if we can grasp that concept and implement in our life, we can truly have revival. We can be closer to God. We can trust him more. We can worry less about this world and look more forward to the next one, which makes us live a better life here for him. So revival through Romans this week is salvation is not a contract filled with your contractual obligations. Have you ever felt like that? That God made a deal with you and now that you, you know, he's, he's going to save you and he's going to do this, but I have to do this, this, this. I have all these contractual obligations with God. Anybody ever felt that? It's a contract. I do these things for God. God does these things for me. That's just how it works. I know that's how the lost world feels about it. But it's not a contract filled with your contractual obligations. Salvation is simply a promise. It's a promise. Hey, Ashley, uh, Emily, the lady makes you a promise. Why don't you want a promise? Because you don't know her. You don't know. And even if you did, she could go against that promise. But you know what makes this promise of salvation so valuable? It is from a gracious God. You know what grace means? Grace is the desire and ability. It's a free gift, but it's the desire and ability to do what God wants you to do. He gives you the desire and he gives you the ability to actually believe him, to actually follow through and, 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 and follow him in this promise. So he is a gracious God, but he is an almighty God. Chuck, I always pick on you when I say almighty, because if he's almighty, how much might does he have? And if he's got all the might, how much y'all got? None. You got none. He knows everything. He can do anything. And he's everywhere. How much more mighty can you get than that? So that's what makes us be able to trust his promise. So take a look in, in Romans. And in fact, the point for every one of these points, I've got three or four points here. The point is this. It is that your salvation is not a contract filled with contractual obligations, but it is a promise from a gracious, almighty God. You're going to have that repeated over and over, and if you don't remember anything else today, man, take a screenshot, remember that, because that is the point today. If I can switch to the next thing. Oh, there we go. Now watch this. Okay, so, oh, did we, did we skip one? Okay, here we go. For Romans chapter 4, we start back up in verse 13 uh, in this. For the promise of Abra uh, to Abraham and his offspring. Who's, his, who's Abraham's offspring, y'all? We are. We are. That's what the whole point is. Not just Jews, but we are. Anyone who believes in Christ by faith, who has that righteousness given to them, are his offspring. And you'll see that. 
So for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, that was a promise God made to him, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, this, God didn't come to Abraham and say, okay, Abraham, here's a contract. Get your lawyer, look at it, see if you agree with it. Here's the lease, here's the deal, and sign it. It, 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 There's no contract. Do you understand? You don't have a contract with God. Does that make you uneasy that you don't have a contract? Well, the Bible's a contract. No, a contract is where this is guaranteed and this is guaranteed. Two people make a contract. Don't they, Marley? All right, man. (laughs) Two people, there's a contract between people quoting, uh, showing everybody their obligations. You don't have a contract from God. How many of y'all are uncomfortable in life without a contract? Man, the, uh, Barb, your little shop up there, you got a contract? Yeah, you pay this much and you can have the keys and everybody's got a contract for something. We don't trust anybody. We need a contract, but you don't have a contract with God. All you have with God is a promise. How is, is that cool, Abby? Why is that cool to have a, con- to have a promise from God? Because you can trust him. And again, this is the main point we're going to see. You have a promise. So, uh, uh, Tiny, if, I may, if God makes a promise to you, what can you say about it? God's going to do it, right? Is there anything you got to do? No, it, it, and it's important. Because it, if it was like, well, Tiny, if you do this and I'll do this, is that a promise? No, it's a contract. You have a promise from God. So even if you mess up, I know that's hard, Sam. It's hard to believe Tiny would ever mess up at anything, right? Dude, if you mess up, does God, say, does God go back on his promise? Is there anything you can do to mess up God's promise? Is there anything you can get, do to get God to change his mind? Have any of y'all ever figured that, man, if anybody could change God's mind by the way they behaved, it's me? Any of y'all thought about it about yourselves? You can't. It's a promise from God, not a contract. And that's what we've got to get in our head so we don't have this performance-oriented theology. MJ, when does God want to hang with you? Does God, all right, good, all the time. That sounds like a great thing. How about on your worst day when you are just messing up? Does God still want to hang with you then? How about on your best day when, when you're saying, oh, God, I'm so good, you're lucky to have me today. Does he want to hang out with you then? You had to straighten your prideful little rear end out, right? And he wants to hang with you no matter what. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law or a contract, a legal contract. It didn't come through that, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is, if, if, if it is the adherence or the behaviors of the law or the contract who are to be the heirs, in other words, then it's a deal. He said, if it's because of your behavior that God does what he said he's going to do, he said, faith is null. What does null mean? It doesn't matter. Yeah, faith doesn't matter if it's all about your behavior. Faith is where God made a promise and you do what? What's the B word? Believe. Yeah, that's it. That's what it's about. Faith is null. You don't have to believe nothing if you got a contract. You got the stipulations, it's there. So he said, man, if it's only for the ones who have the law and are going to obey the law or obey the contract, faith is null. And the promise is void. You either got a promise or you got a contract, man. 
Well, my contract is a promise. No, it's you guys making mutual promises and all of that. God's saying, no, no contract. This is simply a promise. Are you going to believe me or not? And again, we talked about this last week, the word believe in the Hebrew, when it said Abraham believed for righteousness, believe meant to say what? Come on, Julia. Amen. Whatever God says, what do you say, Scott? Amen. Dude, this might not be the way you planned it. This was not your 20-year plan. Well, that's what you get for making 20-year plans. God didn't tell you about that in the Bible at all. That's your own thing y'all did. And I'm not saying planning is wrong, but I'm saying you hold on to plans loosely, don't you? When, how far about does God want you to plan for sure? I'm not saying you can't make long plans and all that. That's good, whatever. But again, you hold on to those loosely. Does he tell us to fly with him? Does he tell us to jump with him? Does he tell us to skip or does he tell us to walk? So he wants you in contact with him one step at a time. And yes, sometimes he will give you a little bit of the future. But even getting there, you've got to take one step at a time. How many of you ever made plans? You thought God gave you plans, and then down the road, you're just like, what the heck? <laughs> he says, hold on loosely. You know what happened? We're like, okay, we need, to, we need to get to the kitchen. That's the goal, God. All right, I don't need you anymore. I'm just going to the kitchen. God's like, no, no, no. You still need me one step at a time. Because when I get here, I may want you to stop and talk to Ethan. You get over here, man. JT and Suzette, man, I, want, I might want you to move in with them in their new condo. God didn't tell you all that yet, did he? No, he sure didn't, no. But <clears throat> so sometimes in those plans, God just gets your direction going. He gets your momentum going. But you listen to him one step at a time. Otherwise, that's our American way sometimes. Get out that door. Boom. All right, I know God wants me to go out the door. He may not want you to go out the door as quick as you want to get out the door. He's got a lot. It's about the journey, not the destination. He's got you on a path, man. He doesn't want you to miss any part of that. Let me ask you a question. What moment in any day are you not going to give him an account for? Is there any moment in any day you're not going to give him an account for? No, you're going to give him an account. Hey, what'd you do with that? Well, I don't know. I was too busy running for the kitchen. Well, I was too busy running for the... Well, wait, you missed that? You missed that situation? It's one step at a time. And how many of y'all believe if you take every step God wants you to take, you'll end up where he wants you to end up? Guaranteed. If it's adherence to the law... You uh, who are to be the heirs of the world that he promised Abraham, your faith is no good. You don't need faith. And the promise is void. It's not a promise, it's a contract. So I think it's important we go through the life of Abraham this morning. No, <laughs> you think I'm joking. Part of the life of Abraham this morning. Oh, and I'm, we're going to see how far God, uh, oh, 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 God takes us in this. Uh, look at verse 15 real super quick on this. He goes on to say, for the law, the contract, the law, the law brings wrath because God's got a set of rules. And if you disobey him, it brings wrath. All right. It, it, it's it's going to be disappointment. But where there is no law, there's no transgression. So check this out. If you only have a prompt, if, if, if you have a contract, can the contract be broken? Yes. If you don't have a contract, can the contract be broken? No. If you don't have a contract, the contract can't be broken. 
So what do you have with God? A promise or do you have a contract? You have a promise. And God, we know, can't break his promises. So it's not dependent on anyone but, but God. So yeah, that's what he's saying in this verse. You got a contract with God? Dude, you might break your end. How many of y'all already broke your deal into the deal? Yeah, dude, you did it this morning on the way in. I'm just saying. And, but here, there's no contract to break. You have a promise from God. And what is the promise from God? Anybody want to help me out? What is the promise we have from God? Donna, what's the promise you have from God? You have what kind of life? Eternal life. Yeah. He's promised that because he's already given you his righteousness and taken your unrighteousness away. Right? So, let's take a look. Salvation is not a contract filled with your contractual obligations Salvation is a what? Promise from a gracious, almighty God. You're going to see that again. Next point I make is going to be the exact same point, but we're going to reiterate it, and we're going to back it up with parts from the Word of God. J.J., I don't even know where to point this thing. I'm just going to point it right between your eyes, right? All right. And you can, all right. Now, Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. This is kind of where God started the whole gig with Abraham. Abraham was in Ur of the Chaldees. And in Ur of the Chaldees, you know, most people don't even really realize, but they say it was a city of probably about 300,000 people. It was a very modern city that had many of the same things we all have in our cities. They weren't primitive cave people, you know, scratching out junk on a wall and all of this. They, they had a pretty modern city. And, and he must have been a fairly wealthy man there or from a wealthy family. And here it is. This is the beginning of Abraham's life. This is the beginning of Christianity. This is the beginning of him bringing Messiah into the world. Now the Lord said to Abraham, what's the key in that part there? The Lord said to Abraham, what's the most important word in that one? Lord. It's not what Pastor Eddie said to JJ. It's what the Lord said to Abraham. The Lord said this. Lord wants to communicate. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Just go to the land that I will show you. Hey, Julia, how's that for directions? Get out of here. Go. But I ain't telling you where you're going. And uh, again, there's no, that's not a contract, right? He's like, just go. And, and Abraham, and he's going to give him a promise. You're going to see the promise. So in this, look at verse 2. And if you go... So he had to just believe God and go. Look at what the, this is the Abrahamic covenant. I will make you a great nation. So he's going to make Israel a great nation. He's had Israel as a great nation. They became a mighty nation as they came out of Egypt with with couple of million people starting with 67 they had through david a great nation they disobeyed god and he took them down and they're scattered but is god done with israel yet y'all no and i'll show you that here today he said i'm going to make you a great nation abraham at this point he's a 75 year old man how many kids does he have y'all none 75 year old man with no kids gary how old are you 75 year old man with no kids man and God says, I'm going to make you a great, I don't know if you have, but he ain't got a nation, I'm just saying. <laughs> but I'm going to make you a great nation. What would you say to God on that? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. But who's going to have to do it? God's going to have to do it. That's right. So I'm going to make you a great nation. And I will, listen to this, I will bless you. 
So I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I am going to make your name great. Everybody's going to know who Abraham is. How many of y'all know who Abraham is? Yeah, his name is great. Uh, and look at this. So that, this is the reason I'm going to make you great, make you a great nation, so that you will be a blessing. Next verse. I think I broke this thing. Uh, oh, and I will bless those that bless you. All right, so get this. As far as Israel's concerned, he said, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I'll curse. You go against the Jews, go against Israel, and I don't care whether they're following God or not. And I'm not saying we do ungodly things, but the fact is, is that you look at history and you look at what happens of anybody who ever goes against the Jews. They succeed for a while. Satan has been trying to take out the Jews for a long time prior to Jesus, so they couldn't have a Messiah. And he's so ticked off that they did bring a Messiah into the world that he'd love to destroy them now. But guess what? You go read Revelation chapter 22, and you'll see that, man, they are honored. They're on the gates. Their names are on the gates because they were used to bring the Messiah into the world. So he said, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I'll curse them. So I'm just saying, if you got a choice of going with Israel or going against Israel, I'd go with Israel if I were y'all. This is the word of God, not my opinion. This is not the news. This is not some accord deal that some politicians have made. I can remember growing up as a kid when the news was the news. Y'all remember Henry Kissinger? Anybody remember those words? I'll never forget. Oh, Henry Kissinger just made a peace deal, a peace treaty in the Mideast, and everything's going to be great. And I remember my mama looking at me and saying, no, it ain't. And I'm like, what? She said, no, I don't have the Prince of Peace, so there ain't going to be peace. And all these deals go down, but you go against them. Hey, uh, Hitler went against them, right? How many of y'all know somebody, kid named, how many of y'all know a kid named Hitler? Anybody name, anybody name their kid Hitler? No, because that's a cursed name, dude. He, he's cursed because of what he did. He may have succeeded in some realms, but he totally ended up being messed up. I'll bless those that bless you, and him who dishonors you, I'll curse them. And in all the families of, and in you, through you, Abraham. Look at this last part. This is the crucial part. Here's the promise, Gary. He's going to make you, make him a nation. And he said, and in you, all the families of the earth. How many of y'all belong to a family of the earth? All right. I'm, how many of y'all don't? So I can know the aliens and androids in here. All right. The cyborgs in here. Y'all wouldn't admit it anyways. You've been programmed to say it. All right. But, and in you, all the families of the earth are going to be what? Blessed. And you know how they're going to be blessed? He's going to send a Messiah. That's how they're going to be blessed. He's going to send a Messiah through them so that you can have a relationship with God and an eternity in heaven. Amen? That's what he told Abraham all those years ago. So he said, go. You got to leave. And when he asked him to leave, what did he say, Gary? Amen. I'm doing it. <laughs> he didn't need the whole plan, and it's a good thing he didn't. How many of you ever got a plan, and after you learned more about the plan, you decided, God, I really wouldn't have done that if I knew that's what the plan was, right? God knows what he's doing, you know? So all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Think we need a new battery, man? You're pretty sure it's broken, man? All right, so Abraham, these don't make these things very tough. You need to get me a kid version, a rubber-coated one. We need to put this one in like rubber coating or something. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. So he said, amen. Abraham took off. 
And Lot went with him. Uh Uh-oh, hang on, man. Who went with him? Did God tell Lot to go? Did God tell Abraham to bring Lot? No. What do y'all see here now? Trouble. Dude, anytime. God, God gives you instructions. He just said, go. And and in fact, at the very first part of his journey, he brought his whole family. He brought his his in-laws and different people, and they ended up saying, you don't know where you're going. We're going to leave. Yeah, we're we're not going with you anymore. Lot stayed for a while. But he brought Lot, and he wasn't supposed to bring Lot with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Next verse. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, he's supposed to take her, the two become one, uh, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. Okay, so they had workers, they had businesses there, and they set out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. So the Canaanites were still there, and he's like, I can't really land here. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said. So first God said, go. He went. He brought who he's supposed to bring, a little extra baggage. And and he's going. He's like, okay, uh, this doesn't look right. But the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring. Offspring, I'm 75 years old, so I'm going to have some babies here. I don't know how that's going to go down, but I'm believing a promise from God. There's a promise from God. I'm going to have some babies. To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. You know how you track Abraham? By his altars. Everywhere Abraham went, he built an altar. Because every time God spoke to him, he built an altar. And then he went somewhere else, built an altar. And then when he went back, he saw the altar. And the altar that he built before, what did that remind him of? What God had already said to him. So everywhere he turned, he saw another altar of a time where, okay, it was reminding him not of the contract, because he didn't have a contract. It was reminding him of the promise God made. Do you have any altars? Here's where your altars might need to be. You ever circle stuff in your Bible? I love what you said, MJ. I turned to that verse and it was already highlighted. That's an altar. That's an altar. Man, take your Bible. Go look at the Bible of an old saint, man. Someone who's been walking with God, dude. And his pages are covered with notes and circles and underlines. Those are altars. And we're trying, you can do that uh, digitally if you want. I, I try to memorize these verses when God puts them in my heart and he gives them to me. I try to memorize them because then nobody can take those away from me. They can take the Bible. They can take my phone. They, can change. they can't take my heart. I've got it right here of what God said, at least for right now. <laughs> and if I ever get it wrong, you say, hey, I think you're kind of like, you know, anyways, but I got it. Make altars. When God speaks to you, do it now. You got that already highlighted, MJ? Circle it. Put a date by it. And wouldn't it be cool to open it up and see 20 dates by that verse where God has shown himself real? Because it reminds you he made a promise. That's what it reminds you of. And it's not a contract. Oh, I didn't do mine. No, it's a promise from God. The Lord appealed to Abraham and he said, your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Next verse, JJ. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Uh, And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So what did he build again when God spoke to him? 
another altar. And in fact, what you're even going to see is later in Jacob's life. And then even in Joshua, they're going to be reminded and encouraged of altars that Abraham built. Interesting story, Isaac. Isaac didn't have much written about him, but Isaac didn't build altars. That's his son. Isaac built wells. Isaac kind of had more of a priority about his business. <laughs> and, and God still fulfilled the promise through him and then worked through Jacob. But Abraham built altars. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So, oh, so far, here it is. Morgan, God gives Abraham promises. Abraham goes, yep, God gives a promise. He says, amen, here I go. But this is good news for you that think Abraham is some superhuman being that never messed up. Look at this next part, verse 10. There's a famine in the land. How many of y'all would be excited if where we're living right now, there's a famine in the land? Jack, wouldn't that be awesome? There's a famine in the land. You're like, yeah, because I got gator meat and dog, you know, and I got my whole yard I can eat, man. But when you're out of that, there's a famine in the land. How many of y'all be like, woohoo? Let's see what God's going to do. <laughs> Anyone? Honestly, y'all are saying no. But literally, why would God put a famine in the land? So you can trust Him. If there's a famine in the land and He's providing, guess who gets the glory? He gets the glory. But if we're just seeing it from our belly's perspective, <laughs> Why are you laughing, JT, man, my belly brother? <laughs> you know you like food as much as me, right? Yeah. If there's a famine in the land, it's like, ooh, where'd that next meal come from? Oh, I heard, there's, I heard that there's stuff down in Egypt. But man, look at this. So there's a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt. Did God tell him to go to Egypt? No, God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. So what do you think is going to come out of Egypt, good or bad? Oh, and the only good thing is if he learns from his mistakes, <laughs> any of y'all ever have to learn through your mistakes of going down to Egypt? You go down to Egypt, you better learn from them. Don't keep going down to Egypt. But Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Well, doesn't that sound legitimate? There's a famine in the land. I should be able, you know what? I'm going to take care of me. We've got to feed the babies. <laughs> I don't care how illegal we got to do that. Go feed the babies, man. We got to do this. No, you don't have to violate God's principles. Maybe in the worst of times is where God wants to shine in all of this. You make mistakes when you violate God's principles. I know, so he goes on and says, when he was about to enter Egypt, here it starts, he's about to enter Egypt, and he's got this hot 65-year-old wife, I think, she's about that, but man, she's, she's, she's good looking, that's where, I mean, in all this, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sari, his wife, I know you are a woman beautiful in appearance. How many of y'all like to hear that from your husband? Husband, look at your wife and say, I know you're a woman that's beautiful in your appearance. None of y'all going to do that, man? JT, go ahead. Get you some, get you some brownie points, JT. <laughs> Woo, yeah. The rest of y'all chickens, your wife's insider, like, yeah, I knew he'd never say that to me. No. <laughs> he's like, but you don't have to say it. You already know it. No, say it. I'm just saying. When he was about to enter, uh, uh, okay, I keep going. I, I'm reading that again. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they're going to kill me, but they will let you live. <laughs> 
you're that hot, they're going to kill me and, uh, and, let you, and take you. That's what's going to happen. Well, again, where's he getting this mess from? Scott, where's he getting this mess from? His own head, right? You ever get a mess from your own head, man? Yeah. Hey, any of y'all make mountains out of molehills? Any of y'all really good at predicting the future? <laughs> or think you are? You know what's going to happen next? Man, that's where we're at. Oh, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, so I'm going to... Yeah. Why did he have to assume all these things? You know why? Because he did something God didn't tell him to do, so now God says, you want to do what you want to do? Go ahead and do it. And I hope you... You know, let me know when you're tired of doing what you think you need to do. And I'll jump back in your life right here and give you direction. When you go off on your own tangents, go do your own things, you better have all the answers. You better know what's next. And guess what? How good are you at knowing what's next? How many of y'all made some mistakes that way? I'm just saying, he wants us to follow him. That's where the blessings are. That's where the promises are. The moment you say, I don't need you, God. I got my own plans. I got my own plans. When that's going down... You're not hearing from him, and he's the one that knows everything. He's the one that's everywhere. He's the one that can do everything. You can't, and you're going out, and you're going to be the expert now? So when the Egyptians see you, they're, they're going to say, this is, this is his wife. Then they're going to kill me, and they'll let you live. And you are my sister. <laughs> uh, say you are my sister. Now, let me ask you a question. I ain't saying marry your sister now. And that's not what God's saying in this, but technically, was she his sister? Yeah, technically kind of stepsister moved on and all that. And again, that doesn't mean God says, y'all, oh, dude, cool, I can marry my sister. No, if that's you, come talk to me. We got to straighten some things out. All right. That ain't how we do things. But technically, have you ever had a technicality with God? You ever been, you know what's right and wrong, but you're like, but technically, when you have to say technically, what do you really mean? It means I know what God wants me to do, but I'm going to see if I can't pigeonhole God in a technical, in a technicality. How's that work out, y'all? It don't. <laughs> and so he said, say you're my sister. We're not really lying that it may go well with who? Woo, how'd that make Sari feel? Say, you lie, you do all this so it'll go well with me <laughs> because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake, because you can't do nothing without me. You really want to be stuck in the, in the, in the, the palace with the Egyptian pharaoh for the rest of your life, or you want to hang out with me? Well, she's probably deciding on that right now. <laughs> I'm just thinking. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Woo! Guess what? They, they, he was right on that. When Abraham uh, and, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with, he dealt well with Abraham. Check this out. So they took her into Pharaoh's house, but because he brought this hot woman into his potential harem, guess what happens? Pharaoh's like, woo, Abraham, thank you. And he's giving Abraham, he's dealing well with Abraham. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. He's hooking Abraham up with all this stuff because of the lie. Doesn't it seem like that lie just worked out for him, Brad? Dude, you know what? Let's try this. Everywhere we go, we're going to say, you're my sister, and they're going to hook me up with all kinds of riches, because riches are where it's all at, right? Isn't that a good deal? I, I, don't you, doesn't it look like God just rewarded 
But how many of y'all ever got some that became more of a pain in the butt than it was a blessing? You thought it was a blessing? How many of y'all ever have a boat? No, my boat's a blessing, the one God gave. But how many of y'all ever had a boat that you thought, oh, this is great? What did they say the two best days in a boat owner's life are, Jack? The day they buy it and the, and the day they sell it. You know, I'm just saying there's so many different things in life that we think, oh, if I had this, if I had this, and have you had all of this? And guess what? You have all of this. And who does it take the place of in your life? Often God. Because, dude, stuff don't take care of itself. And that, so guess what? This would seem to be a blessing. May I, can you imagine if somebody's giving you all kinds of sheep and oxen and male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Now I'm going to hang on to it up here, man. We're good. We're good, man. Can you imagine somebody giving you all those riches? Would, would you say, how many of y'all put it in the praise jar that God just blessed your socks off? Yeah, God gave me all this stuff, man. That's awesome. Well, it really wasn't God that gave him all that stuff. I mean, God allowed him to have all that stuff, but you're going to see, man, this is going to be a pain later. And for her, uh, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her as my wife? Now then, here your wife, here's your wife. Take her and get out of here. That still looks like Abraham got a pretty good deal. Go ahead, JJ, slip. Uh, he, it looks like Abraham got a pretty good deal. He's leaving with all this stuff from Egypt. And Pharaoh gave men uh, orders concerning him, and they sent him away his wife, and all they had. So again, read this with me. Everybody read this real quick so you just got it. Salvation is not a contract filled with your contractual obligations. Salvation is a what? From a who? Yeah. When you take matters in your own hands, you start messing things up. Just trust the promise of God in this. Next verse, JJ. So Abraham went up from Egypt. Woo! Hopefully he learned from his mistake. He and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. So what's the, what doesn't belong there, y'all? Lot. And Lot was down in Egypt. Remember that. Down in Egypt's where they learned to love all the riches, where all the good stuff was, where everything that was going to satisfy them aside from God, where, where he had all of that. Abraham knew he had a promise from God, and he knew that's where it all came from. Lot, I'm just going to say this, you can take the boy out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the boy. And that's where Lot goes down in the very end. Uh, now, Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. Now, now, now he's rich. Why? Where did he get all that from, y'all? Egypt. He got it from Egypt, all right? And uh, he journeyed on from Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. So guess what? He's going back now to a what? To one of his what? One of his circled Bible verses. He made a mistake. He's over there. He's got all this stuff, but he sees, wait a minute. Now he's got all these things to take care of, everything going on. He goes back and he's going back to his circled verse. Because what's he going to learn at that circled verse? That's where God is. That's where the answer is. That reminds me of his promise. So I follow God. No more detours on my own. I'm going to follow God. 
And uh, to the place where he had made an altar the first, there Abraham called upon the Lord. And hey, when he called upon the Lord, when you call upon him after you've made a mistake, what is the four-letter word that you call on him with that begins with H and ends with help, y'all? Help! <laughs> Isn't that right? It, does God, when you go to God and say, help, does he say, oh, no, Chuck again? Come on, man. Oh, Pastor, no. Is that what he says? No, he's like, yes, you're back. I, now, all right. So he came back to the altar and said, God, MJ, what'd he say? No, he didn't say help. He said, what'd he say? Help! <laughs> MJ, what'd he say? There you go. Thank you. All right. I got somebody. But all right. To the place where he'd made the altar at first, then Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. He called on him by saying help. And Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. Where did he get those from? Egypt. Oh, dude, they got a lot of junk from Egypt. And they're carrying it all, man. <laughs> they ain't even got a U-Haul. They're, they're, they're hauling all this up. Doesn't it sound, wouldn't that be like, oh, they are so blessed. They got all this junk from Egypt. It's all, it's all good stuff. No, watch what happens. So that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Man, think about that. They had so much stuff that they had no place to put it. Can you imagine a society that wastes good land where you could grow crops by building storage buildings? Storage units miles high? That is what they're building Fort Pierce. Everybody look on the Fort Pierce connection page. What's going on here? Oh, storage unit. What's going on here? Storage unit. What's going on here? Storage unit. <laughs> yeah, storage unit. <laughs> it's like, they got so much stuff. Do they need all that stuff? No, they don't even, they just are having it in the storage unit in case they need it one day, right? <laughs> in all that. And, and if you ain't got a storage unit, you got a closet. And if you ain't got a closet, you got a junk drawer, don't you? I'm just saying, that's what a junk drawer is. And so, so anyways, they got more stuff. But stuff sometimes can take the place of who? Yeah, in all of this. So man, it got so much that they couldn't even dwell together anymore. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock, the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites, the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. There's strife. So they're the people of God, and all the other people see, instead of being a witness, all they're seeing is these people of God fighting with each other. What a testimony over stuff. <laughs> then Abraham said to Lot, look, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're kinsmen. It is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me. If you take to the left, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right, I'll go to the left. Keep going, JJ. <laughs> and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw, look at it, Lot, Lot, you can take the boy out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the boy. Remember that? So how do you think Lot's going to make? How should you make the decision if you got to go left or right, Marley? Left or right? Who should you ask in making that decision? God. Thank you. Her parents appreciate that. I'm just saying. No. <laughs> yeah. You got to make a decision. What should we do? What do we got? Yeah, Skylar, man, getting ready to marry, marry my daughter, man. It's like, you got a decision to make. Who do you ask? That's it. But look how he made his decision. 
Look how he made his decision here. And Lot lifted up his eyes and said, God Almighty, we need to follow. Tell me what to do. Is that what he said? No, look at this. Lot lifted up his eyes, saw the Jordan Valley was well watered. Everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of, of what? You can take the boy out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the boy. He's got his eyes set on riches, and he didn't learn his lesson of, this is why they're even having to divide, but he doesn't care because he's got so much stuff. He's wanting to get more stuff. He's like, woohoo, this looks like Egypt, and I liked Egypt. And they weren't following the Lord in Egypt, but he said, I like Egypt. I'm going in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So if he goes to Sodom and Gomorrah, what ends up happening to all his stuff when God destroys it? It all goes with it. Well, they say you don't ever see a U-Haul following a hearse. <laughs> Just saying. So Lot chose for who? Lot sought God and chose for God. No, Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. He didn't even say, Abraham, there's some good stuff. Over. Abraham, I don't need all this. You, you can come over and share it with me. No, it's all mine, 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 mine. Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Next verse. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot settled among the cities of the valley. And look where he moved. He started off having all this, but he moved as far as Sodom. And that's where you see him coming up later is in Sodom. He didn't make decisions based on God and God's promises. He made decisions based on his human wisdom and basically his lust for the world and the riches of this world. Go ahead. Now, the men of Sodom, they were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So could God send you there to be a missionary? Yes, but that's not why Lot went. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from, this is what God, this is where we're going. I just want to see what happened to Lot. But the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated, he said, I want you to look up, lift up your eyes. Look from where you are, north, south, east, and west. Go ahead, JJ. For all the land you see, I will be even to you and your offspring. So what did he just give him? Even the land that Lot just took. Abraham knew, dude, I don't want anything except what God wants me to have. That's all I want. For land you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. For all, oh, sorry, I thought you changed it. I will make your offspring, look at this. Here's the promise. 75-year-old man, he said, I will make your offspring as dust of the earth. So that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. You know what he did? He just, God just built an altar. God said, I want you to look down at the dirt, man. <laughs> I want you to look. How many of y'all got dust in your house? How many got dust? All right. How, how many of y'all just like quit, dude? You see, dusting is futile. It's just worthless. It's coming back. How many of y'all are dust freaks, though? You see dust. Destiny, I, I, I believe that, man. Yeah, it, so can you imagine if you could count dust? where would you be right now? I mean, in the billions, gazillions, trillions, right? And so he's telling Abraham, every time you see dust, so here you go, man. When that dust freaks you out, like, oh, I gotta clean the dust. Like, is that how you are inside? Are you like, I gotta clean the dust? We can't have dust. There can't be dust. Mary's like, oh yeah, dust is okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. I got other priorities. But every time Abraham was to see dust, he was to be reminded of God's promise. 
How about dust, instead of freaking you out, it reminds you of God's promises. And then you can clean it. It doesn't wipe out God's promises, but, but yeah, good way to look at it. That's what he told them and in all of this. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land. I'm going to give it to you. He doesn't say when, doesn't say how, doesn't say, he just said he's going to do it. Here's a promise, believe it. So Abraham moved his tent, came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there, what do you think he did? He built another altar. He's circling Bible verses. He's putting dates. He's highlighting every time God, he's journaling every time God speaks. Man, he's putting it down. So somebody told me once, an old pastor joke, they, it was funny back then, it ain't funny now, it's just something to say, but man, instead of getting hysterical, get historical. Instead of getting hysterical, get historical. Remember what God has done in your life. That's what the altars are for. Because the most important thing for Abraham wasn't his possessions, it was his promise. And he needed to constantly be reminded of the promise that God had made to him the way we need to be reminded of our promises. Salvation is not a contract filled with your contractual obligations. Salvation is a what? Promise from a gracious, almighty God. Next verse, and I promise, I think this is the last chapter we're looking at here real quick. You're like, woo, it's only 1108, man. This one will take me five minutes. All right, watch this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, why would Abraham have any fear? Because in chapter 14, with Lot and all the people in Sodom, there were bound to be wars. And guess what? Lot had a lot of stuff. It was a lot like Haiti. People saw the stuff. So you know what? Some kings came together and got a bigger alliance than these kings. And they had a war and they kidnapped Lot and took all his stuff. Somebody escaped, came to Abraham and said, hey, your nephew just got kidnapped and all his stuff. So guess what God had Abraham do? Go rescue him. And so Abraham, I didn't even know he had an army, but he had an army. And, and Abraham rescued him. And God gave him a miraculous victory. And all the biggest thing, he met Melchizedek. That's in that chapter. But at the end of that chapter, the king of Sodom is trying to give him some of the spoils. And he said, no, I really don't want anything from you. Somebody's trying to give you a bunch of riches. Do you want them? <laughs> Not if your storage sheds are full. But anyways, uh, he, trying to give him some stuff. He's like, no, I don't want anything from you. He said, you know what? I don't want it to be said that you made me rich. I want all my riches to come from God. And so after these things, go back to verse one real quick. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham and said, fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great for you to have military victory over those kings. Who gets the glory? I do. Right. Um, but Abraham said, oh, Lord, God, what will you give me? I can I continue childless. So what was it that he wanted? He wanted the promise fulfilled. I'm supposed to, uh, Gary, he ain't, get, he ain't getting younger, is he? Dude, he's at least probably 75 and a half by now. <laughs> 76, 77, 78. He's like, God, I still don't have no kids, man. And it was going to be 25 years later that he actually got the promise fulfilled. But he always had to keep remembering it was a promise and have things in his life to remind him of the promise. Abraham said, Lord, God, what will you give me? I, I continue childless, and the heir of my house is going to be Eleazar of Damascus, one of my servants. Go ahead, J.D. 
And Abraham said, uh, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household is going to be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man's not going to be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. God will continually remind you of the promises that he gives you. And he brought him outside and he said, uh, first he said, remember the dirt? <laughs> remember the dirt? He said, look at, look at the dust. And if you could count it, that's how many kids you're going to have. So when you look down and see dirt, you're reminded of my promise. Now look what he says. He said, he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, he said, so shall your offspring be. So if he looks down at dirt, what's he reminded of? God's what? Promise. If he looks up in the sky and sees the stars, what's he reminded of? God's promises. So God continually gives you ways to be reminded of his promises because it's all about his promise to you, regardless of who you are, what you do, where you've been. If you're his kid and you're acting up, he will discipline you. He'll take you out if he has to. But the fact is, is, man, you're his kid. Gabrielle, Caitlin, is there anything you could possibly do to not be Chris and Sabrina's children? No. But what happens if you, if you want fellowship with them, what do you got to do? Kind of play by their rules, right? You got to hang with them or drag them down to play by your rules. But that's not how it works with God. But the fact is, is you're their children. There's nothing you can do to change that. And that's what happens when we're a child of God. God makes that promise to us. He brought him outside, said, look towards heaven, number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he, what? Believed God. He believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Where we see that in uh, the book of Romans over and over is from that verse right there. He believed God. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm 70 some. I'm almost 80 and I'm, I'm going to have kids. I don't have it. I believe you, God, that you're going to do great things through me. I believe you. So I'm going to follow you. And that belief, believing the promise was counted as righteousness because he has a promise, not a contract in this. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. That's my promise. But he said, oh, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Check this out. Be glad that if y'all want to set one of these little things up for God to remind you, you, you do it if he says to. But he said, bring me a heifer three years old. All right. A female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. All right. Chuck, God tells you to get all that for him. What are you going to say, man? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get it somehow, some way. You won't be visiting relatives out in Okeechobee, I'll tell you that, right? All right, go ahead next. He brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he didn't cut the bird. So this is how they made an oath. You cut the heifer in half, and you put one on each side of the path. Cut the goat on the half, put one on each side of the path. You, you take each of those, and the birds, you lay them there. And what's going to happen is the people who are going to make the contract with each other, they walk through the middle of that. So if there's two people making a contract, then both of them walk through and, uh, and they, they burn them and, and set on fire. It's, it's, it's kind of like, it's, just, it's like signing a deed or something. That's how they did it with the sacrifice, right? But if one person walks through, then that one person's making a deal regardless of the other person in this. As the sun was going down, a deep, 
Oh, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham's driving them away. Wait, wait, wait. God, this isn't, this isn't it yet. And, and the sun was going down. A deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted 400 years. In other words, before they even get to the promised land, they're going to be in Egypt. He's predicting their Egyptian slavery for 400 years to Abraham here. He said, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions, which they did come out of Egypt. As for you, you shall go to be your with your fathers in peace. In other words, this promise, you're not even going to see it fulfilled. Can you imagine God saying, I want, here, I'm making a promise to you, and that's your motivation, and you're never even going to see it fulfilled. But it didn't matter because Abraham was going to follow God because he was one little piece of a giant plan that God had to bring a Messiah into the world. Go, you're going to go to your father in peace. Then you'll be buried at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. So check this out. When they go in the promised land, Barb, we talked about this out on a sandbar, right? When they go into the promised land and they wipe out the Amorites and they kill off all these different people, guess what? God, for all of this time, has been generous. He has been merciful. And he has tried to get these people to repent and quit living the way they're living. And, and it's God's world. And when they wouldn't do it, now, he, for this many years, he, Egypt was in uh, Israel's in slavery for 400 years while God's giving mercy on the Amorites, trying to get them to change their ways. And when they don't, God wipes them out and takes them out of the world because he's a just and merciful God. It's kind of like you have, is there any clean freaks here in your house? Clean freaks? We got any clean freaks? Clean freaks? Clean freaks? Yeah, uh, Stephen, I'm going to pick on, uh, yeah, I'm going to pick on Stephen here for just a minute, right? So you got a house and you got a clean, and you love that house. You've told me God gave you that house for different things. So let's imagine that a half a dozen people from here all come into your house. Do you have any house rules? Does he have any house rules? Uh, okay. All right. Well, all right, so let's just assume some of the house rules are that you don't throw food and smear it on the walls and do artwork. Would that be a good house rule? So all of a sudden you see somebody taking food and they're like drawing on the walls. What would you say to them, Stephen? Yeah, no, we can't have that. Would you say it nice at first? Yeah, even though you're like, what planet are these people from? They're drawing on my walls with food. It's like, but Stephen being a nice Christian, he is, would say, hey, we don't do that here. And what if they responded back and said, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> and, and then they're like going in the fridge and getting permanent stuff, ketchup, man. And, and they're like, leave me alone, Steve. Stephen's like now getting a little more forceful, right? Hey, we don't do that here. We're not so, hey, we, hey, stop. <laughs> when he come to the point where you just said, stop. I'm going to tell you, if you guys don't obey my rules, I'm going to kick you out of the house. But I'm going to give you another chance, and I'm going to give you another chance. And they're squirting Nestle's Quick all over the walls. Dude, they're covering the couch, and they're rolling in it, you know, crumbs forever. Well, how would you be feeling, Stephen? Yeah, you would want, you'd be merciful, but eventually you're like, enough is enough. You know how long God's been putting up with us squirting ketchup on the walls of this earth and Hershey Nestle quick and rolling and making a mess on the carpet and everything? And he said, stop. 
follow my rules. This is my house. Follow my rules. And he's been merciful and merciful. And there comes a time where the mercy is no more. And that's what happened to the Amorites. I'm kicking you out of the house because you won't obey the rules. And that's what's going to happen in the final judgment. Because he's not having that in heaven. So they'll come back here in the fourth generation, iniquity of the Amorites. It's not yet complete. I'm still being merciful, giving them time to quit squirting ketchup on the walls. You know, Lori's like, all right, enough. They have gone into all my clothes and they have now just started rubbing stuff on all my clothes. And this is, Stephen, do something, right? That's the world calling out to God. God, do something. Do something. Have you ever cried out to God? Do something. This world's a mess. And God says, I'm patient, I'm generous, I'm waiting, I'm going to give them time to repent. But at some point, it, the repentance time is over. So when the sun had gone down, listen to this, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Who's the smoking torch and the flaming fire pot? God. So God is symbolizing, Abraham, I don't need you to walk through this with me. I'm walking through this sacrifice right here. I'm walking through this because it is a covenant I am making with you. You got nothing to do with it. You don't deserve it. You're not going to earn it. You're, you're not worth it. Well, all these different things. I'm making this covenant with you. It is a promise I give to you. Uh, is that what your wedding's going to be? At, at Emily and, and Skylar? It's like uh, we do the vows, and it's like, Emily, uh, to love and to cherish, to have and to hold, and uh, stay faithful to you only as long as we both shall live. And, uh, and, um, and then Skylar's like, all right, cool, see ya. <laughs> you made promises to me. No, no you got a promise to each other and to God. It's different. But this, what God has done is made a promise to us. He's made a promise to us, and all we have to do is believe that promise and walk in it. So on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. There it was. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Hang tight, JJ. I, I, on this day, I make this covenant. And so as Israel ever had from the Nile to the Euphrates, the answer is no. One day they will. And he made this covenant with Abraham for how long? Forever. Go ahead, JJ. The land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites. <laughs> Keep going, there's more heights. Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephidim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gigashites, and the Jebusites. All right? It was all their land, but I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. It's a promise. It's not a contractual obligation. Go ahead and switch it. It's not a contractual obligation. It's a promise from a gracious God. Last two verses in Romans, super quick. This is where we go back to Romans. Now you know the story of Abraham and what he's telling you as an illustration. He said, this is why it depends on faith. In order that the what? Promise may rest on grace. Grace is the desire and ability to do things God's way. God made a promise, and he's giving you grace to be able to believe it through faith. Without him giving you that grace, you can't believe it. So if you can believe it, he's given you that grace, the desire and ability to believe it and surrender your life to him. So that the promise may rest on not you believing, 
but it's resting on his grace, his free gift to be able to trust him, to believe him. And, but if you're walking away from him, you're walking away from the gift and he's chasing you with it. The closer you are with him, the more you realize the grace that's coming down on you and the easier it is to believe the promise. The promise is there whether you believe it or not, if you have it. But he said it's resting on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only the adherents of the law, the Jews who thought they could keep the law or looking forward to Messiah, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. It's to all those that have faith like Abraham. When God makes a promise, they just say, what? Amen. He's the father of us all. Last one, JJ. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed. The God in whom he believed. Look what, how God is described in this last verse. He gives life to the dead. Man, again, Ethan, uh, can you lay on the ground? Are you okay laying on the ground, bro? Come here, man. God, uh, no, you're not going to lay on the ground. Who want, can I have somebody lay on the ground? Dude, what was your name again? Oh, Being with a J, right? Josh, come here, man. Help me out. Ethan's not playing right now, so... Can you just lay on the ground, bro? Like, act like you're dead. All right, Josh, Josh, Josh is dead. When you are dead, all right, and you are physically dead, what can you do? You can't even answer me. Yeah, you can't do nothing. So, so what's going to happen to you? you? Someone else has to do something with you, right? And so if you are physically dead, you have no capability of doing anything. And what it says is he gives life to the dead. Can you give yourself life? No, he gives you life. And that's why he died, was buried, and rose again so that you could trust somebody that already did it. If he did it for himself, can he do it for you? And who's the only one? Can you trust yourself to bring yourself back to life? No. Who's the only one you can trust? God. Because if you're dead, what can you do? Y'all remember that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Y'all give him a hand, man. That's it. That's... All right. That, that, seriously, that's, that's it. When you're dead, you can't do anything. And look what it says. He's the one who gives life to the dead. And look at this. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. <laughs> if something needs to be in existence, he calls it. He brings it to life. He brings it to fruition. He brings it there. So whatever it, he needs to do to fulfill his promise, he can do it. Jack, I make a promise to you, man. I'm going to try to keep it, right? But is there a possibility I might not keep that promise to you, man? Uh, there's a big promise. And it might not even be because of, of my desire. It's because I just don't have what it takes. I just don't have what it takes sometimes. And, and I break that promise. God always has what it takes to keep his promise. Your relationship with him. Understand, if you are saved, you believed at one point in time that you were a sinner, what you earned by being a sinner was a free trip to hell. And you were like, dude, I, I believe that through faith and I don't want to go there. I can't do anything because I'm spiritually dead. I can't do anything to become spiritually alive. And you came to God and just said, help. And he said, okay. He gave you the grace to scream out help. He gave you faith to get there, to be able to believe what he said, that he now would give you his righteousness and take yours away. And the promise is that you would be saved because of him. It's not something you earn, not something you can buy, not something you could get. It's a promise he made to you. And if you believe that promise, you've got to keep 
believing the promise. You keep believing the promise. Keep that around you. If you've never given your life to Christ, but he's given you the ability to believe that promise, that salvation only comes from him. He expects perfection. You either got to be perfect or you got to believe that what he did on the cross as a perfect person pays for you. If you believe that, that belief will be counted as righteousness to you. It's a promise that he's made to you. So just think about that. There's no contract to break with God. It's a promise. But you've got to accept that promise. And that's what this part is about. That's all Abraham did. Leave, Abraham. Okay? I'm going to make you this. Okay? I'm going to do this. Okay? So for the rest of your life, whatever God says, you're just like, amen. Scott Erica, for the rest of your life in your business world, what are we going to do? God tells you, okay? <laughs> okay? Amen. That's what we're going to do. That's what the life of a believer looks like. But you got to keep believing the promise by keeping those altars around you. Let's pray. Father, I'm not sure what you want to do with all of this today. Um, I know this is what you gave me. I'm, I'm positive this is what you wanted us to look at. Maybe there was something in the life of Abraham that somebody needed to see in this. I got no idea. I just am your mouthpiece, Father. So, Father... Um, I pray that if anyone is looking at their relationship with you as some kind of contractual obligation where they have things that they have to do and, and, and you have to do things and it's a contract, I pray, Father, you would straighten it out and show them how it's a promise. That you made a promise to them. And that promise is that you're going to make them just like you one day. And they get to live in heaven with you forever. But they had to accept that promise. If Abraham told, if God told Abraham to leave, and he was going to do all this stuff, and Abraham never said amen. Abraham never, never followed. If Abraham didn't believe. And that word believe doesn't mean to believe in your head. The devils believe and they're going to bust hell wide open. The word believe means to believe enough to actually put in action what you believe to believe you are the right way you are the only way and to follow you father we um, know there's times where we're going to waver in our following but it's in those times we have to be reminded of a promise that no matter what once we establish this relationship with you by accepting this promise that we're yours forever help us who have the promise to continually get closer and closer to you by staying tight and being reminded of the promise. So, Father, you just take this message and speak it in any way you want and put it to use in people's hearts, whatever it is they needed to hear in this. This is what you told me to say today. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.